Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Joshua and uh, Aaron. What a beautiful special. We uh, just have only about two more years to enjoy that. For I understand Joshua's just offered a full-ride scholarship to go off and learn how to play that. So, uh, so congratulations, Joshua, and thank you so, so very very, very much. What a blessing he is. Men, if you'll come forward, help me out here. It is so incredible to see you here today, and I am delighted of uh, this tremendous, tremendous crowd. Uh, the balcony, every section of the balcony and downstairs, uh, it really is a thrill. We do have sermon notes for you. If you did not receive a copy on your way in, I would ask you just to raise your hand. We want to make sure you're able to stay right along with us in the message. And uh, if you'll take your Bibles and go to 1 John, we'll be in 1 John again this week as we are each Sunday morning, chapter number 2. 1 John chapter number 2. I had the privilege to meet several who are visiting, uh, some from the Fort Worth, Texas area where our son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren are. It was great to meet them. And uh, others who are visiting with us today, thank you so much for being here this morning. Forensic scientists uh, can use DNA and blood and semen and skin, saliva and hair that's found at a crime scene to uh, potentially identify a, 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 um, another DNA of an of a individual such as a perpetrator. Uh, this process is called genetic fingerprinting or more accurately DNA profiling. DNA profiling was uh, developed in 1984 by, British, uh, uh, by a British man, Sir Alec Jeffries. In 1987, British baker uh, Colin Pitchfork, he was the first criminal caught using DNA fingerprinting. Uh, that was in Leicester, the city where it was first discovered. And DNA profiling was first used in forensic science to convict Colin Pitchfork in the 1988 Enderby murders case. How many of you have been born since 1984? If you'll raise your hand. There's uh, several in our congregation. So this is, this is something that's very, uh, very new uh, in our lifetime where DNA has uh, come to fruition. But listen to some of these interesting statistics about DNA profiling. DNA profiling can you be used also to identify victims in a mass casualty incident like a downed airplane or Florida where the condominium um, uh, fell and disintegrated and in the latter days of that investigation they had to use DNA to identify family members. In 1987, Florida rapist uh, Tommy Lee Andrews was the first person in the United States to be convicted as a result of DNA evidence. He was convicted on November the 6th, 1987 and sentenced to 22 years in prison as a direct result of DNA. In 1988, uh, Timothy Spencer was the first man in Virginia to be sentenced to death 
through DNA testing for several rape and murder charges. He was dubbed the Southside Strangler because he killed victims on the south side of Richmond, Virginia. He was later charged with first-degree murder and was sentenced to death, and he was executed April 27th of 1994. David Vasquez, initially arrested in one of Spencer's crimes, became the first man in America to be exonerated based on DNA evidence. In 1989, Chicago man Gary Dotson was the first person whose conviction was overturned uh, using DNA evidence. In 1991, Alan Legere was the first Canadian to be convicted as a result of DNA evidence for four murders that had been committed while he was an escaped prisoner back in 1989. And During his trial, his defense argued that the relatively shadow gene pool of the region could lead to false positives. Uh, 1992, DNA evidence was used to prove that Nazi doctor Joseph Miguel was buried in Brazil under the name Wolfgang Gerhard. In 1994, detectives successfully tested hairs from a cat named Snowball and used the test to link a man to the murder of his wife, marking the first time in forensic history the use of non-human DNA to identify a criminal. In 2004, DNA shed new light into the mysterious 1912 disappearance of Bobby Dunbar. He was a four-year-old boy who vanished during a fishing trip. He was allegedly found alive eight months later in the custody of William Cantwell Walters, but another woman claimed that the boy was her son, Bruce Anderson, whom she had entrusted to Walters' custody. The courts disbelieved her claim and convicted Walters back in 1912 for the kidnapping. The boy was raised and known as Bobby Dunbar throughout the rest of his life. However, DNA tests on Dunbar's son and nephew revealed the two were not related, thus establishing that the boy found in 1912 was not Bobby Dunbar. His real fate remains unknown to this day. Can you imagine being a mother saying, that was my son, knowing that was your son, and his, her son was taken away, given to another family? May I just say DNA is real science. And based on, on the fact that DNA is real and able to convict or disprove, I've entitled this morning's message, It's Time to Examine My DNA Love Profile. And with that in mind, we're going to read a passage, a portion of Scripture in 1 John chapter 2. As we always do, uh, we'll do a responsive reading. I'll read the odd verses. You read the even verses. We'll look at four verses, verses 7 through 11, excuse me, five verses. You'll read verse 8 and 10. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. He that saith, he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Father, thank you that we're able to read your word publicly, unashamedly, 
and we also have the freedom to do that. Father, we do not take it for granted. Thank you that we can meet this morning right here at Tucson Baptist Church. I pray that you will bless this message. Only words that you would approve of be spoken. And that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to convict and encourage and to work in each one of our hearts and lives today. Father, would you bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Every day, including this day, airports all across the world have a familiar scene that is played out. There'll be a harried and tired traveler who will disembark from his flight and he'll make his way to the gate. For hours he's been crowded between an aisle and a window with total strangers. He's read a magazine, ate peanuts, perhaps drank a Diet Coke, and the flight wasn't terrible, but he longs to be home. And as he enters into the gate area, he sees dozens of faces uh, that pay no attention to him. And he intently scans for that one that he loves. Then he sees his wife. Her relieved smile is the best sight that he's seen all day. And his, his children are bobbing up and down uh, as they look and scan for their dad. Um, when they see him, those children often will squeal in delight, wondering what dad has brought home for them this day. I know that because I've personally been that traveler. I've been that one that could not wait to get home and see the family that I love. And oftentimes, uh, this person who's this travel, their greatest desire is the fellowship of his family. And may I say this morning, fellowship makes life worth living. Fellowship makes life worth living. The letter of 1 John is given to Christians so that we will know how to cultivate our fellowship with God, to move beyond a, a relationship with God to a full intimacy with Him, to not walk in the flesh, but in the filling or the controlling power of the Holy Spirit. When we were born again, we began an eternal relationship with God. We've established that fact over these past few weeks of studying 1 John. The Bible tells us that nothing can separate us from his love and that no one or no thing can pluck us or take us out of the hand of God if we entered into that relationship. However, I can have a relationship with God but have no fellowship or intimacy with him. I have a relationship with my wife, but I may or may not be in fellowship with her. God establishes, and he's the one who maintains relationship. But don't miss this this morning. The relationship depends on God, but the fellowship depends on me. The fellowship depends on you. And I am convinced that there are levels of intimacy with God where few of us have ever been. And wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, He compels you to come closer. Keep coming closer. John told us back in verse number 3, And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. In other words, a person who is genuinely saved will have a desire to obey God. Verse 4 reminds us that the person who says, I know him and keepeth not his commandments, the Bible says, is a liar. What do I mean by liar there? The word of God would define this as a counterfeit, non-authentic Christian. Authentic believers, they desire to obey 
his commandments. In verse number 5, we learned that we must move beyond merely keeping his commandments to keeping his word. People who have been injured in accidents often have to learn to walk again, and they have to intentionally learn to put one foot in front of the other. However, after a little while, uh, they learn to walk without even thinking about it. We're going through that stage right now with our granddaughters who are here in, in Tucson. Over the last month, they've just suddenly decided they're going to walk. And, and, and uh, at first, they, they, were, they had to, to toddle around and, and move back and forth. And then they would fall. And they'd get up and they'd try it again. And, and, then, and now they don't even think about it. They just take off until you put shoes on them. Now they have to learn how to walk all over again. But soon, they won't even think about it. They will just walk. We begin much the same way our walk with the Lord by keeping his commandments. In other words, we get in the word of God, we study, we learn these things. But later, we learn just to keep his word. As we grow, we instinctively do what he wants us to do. John tells us at this point, verily is the love of God perfected or completed in us. Romans 5 verse 5 tells us that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which was given unto us. God, he poured out his love inside us when we were saved. We began to live in obedience and to keep his word. The love of God gushes out of everyone around us. Jesus said in John 7 and verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. What a great testimony it is to not be ashamed of God. And if you're not ashamed of God, and you're not ashamed of Jesus Christ, it's going to show because out of your insides, other people are going to know you are a Christian. Verse number 6 tells us that we're to abide in him, and this speaks of fellowship. To abide means to stand, to obey, to remain. We're not to serve him for a while and then stray away. We're to abide. We're to stay. And John 15, verse 5, Jesus promised that the one who abideth in me bringeth forth much fruit. And when we have not just a relationship, but full fellowship with God, the Bible says this, we walk as he walked. We'll live every minute of our lives in some type of unrelenting dependence on our Heavenly Father. We think as he thinks, and we go where he wants us to go, and we say what he wants us to say, and we do what he wants us to do. So as we have just read verses 7 through 11, I would like for us to only look at two points this morning. They are thoughts that truly identify our DNA. And I'd like to ask you a question. Do you have his DNA? If we were to look at your life this morning, do you have our Heavenly Father's DNA? And so with that in mind, I give you DNA marker number one. DNA marker number one. Fellowship with God mandates obedience to God's great commandment. Fellowship with God mandates obedience to God's great commandment. Now we read verse 7 and 8 together. And it might be a little bit confusing at first. Because John says there's an old commandment and there's a new commandment. And he tells us to do both of them. So how is this? What is going on? Well, let's look at the old commandment. The old commandment says this, love your brother as yourself. 
Love your brother as yourself. And John addresses us as brethren or beloved. Back in verse number one, he calls us little children. He's about to teach us about brotherly love, so he reminds us that we are all in God's family. At first glance, verses seven and eight does not seem to make any sense. In verse number seven, John says, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment. In verse number eight, he says, one verse later, a new commandment I give unto you. I, as a logically thinking person, I say, what gives, John? Are you confused? In one verse, you say this, and then very next verse, you say, a new commandment I give to you. Well, after some careful study in the culture and context of what's going on here, the old commandment, John says, is one that we've heard from the beginning. It was heard from the beginning. From the beginning means this, uh, from the beginning of our relationship with the Lord at the time of salvation. What commandment have we always known from the time we were saved? It talks about God's commandment in a plural sense. And, And that is that God will, in a general sense, verse number seven speaks of a commandment singular a specific command from the Lord, here it is. We're to love each other. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And as Christians, we're taught of God to love one another. I say this this morning, brotherly love is a non-negotiable You cannot sit here this morning, say, I'm a Christian, and then in the next breath say, I hate so-and-so who also claims to be a Christian. It is a non-negotiable because it is a result of Christian faith. Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have what? If ye have love, one to another. Love for one another is a constant theme in the Bible. May no mistake about it. We are to love one another. In Matthew chapter 22, uh, there's a description about a lawyer or a scribe who asked Jesus a question. Here was the question. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, when we say the law, most people think that that's just Ten Commandments. In fact, the law had over 600 commandments. Praise God we don't live under the law today. But the law, the Mosaic Law, had some 600 commandments. So this scribe or lawyer was trying to trip Jesus, trying to uh, get Jesus to say something that would contradict the law. This was a often debated question between the scribes and the rabbis, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Without hesitation, if you read that uh, passage of scripture in Matthew 22, Jesus answers and he tells them, love the Lord thy God, which is the first and great commandment, and barely taking a breath, he goes on to say, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He then added this, on these two commandments hang all of the other laws and the prophets. Allow me to paraphrase it. If you love God without limits and you love your neighbor like you love yourself, all of the rest of the Old Testament is merely details. What then is the old commandment that John writes about in verse number 7? Here it is, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
The old commandment is to love your brother as yourself. But then John, perhaps it could be perceived as confusing. He goes on to say the new commandment, love your brother, and don't miss this, as Jesus loves you. Love your brother, the new commandment, love your brother as Jesus loves you. You In John 13 through 16, uh, the Bible records what we know is the upper room discourse. It's an intimate conversation where Jesus discusses his leaving this earth, giving instruction to his disciples, encouragement and comfort ahead of his death. In this loving setting, we see John, he was leaning on Jesus' breast, and Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, and then he clarifies this, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. In John 13, verse 34, Jesus gave the old commandment a new, richer, deeper meaning. He takes the old commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, and he says, now it's going to be an experiential commandment. I want you to love others as I have demonstrated my love towards you. He illustrated this concept in the parable of what we know as the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. To love one another is an old commandment, but to love others as Jesus has loved you is the new part. I ask you a question. How did Jesus love these disciples? May I just remind you that he loved Peter even though he was overbearing and boastful and denied the Lord. He loved James and John that referred to themselves as the sons of thunder. He loved the stubborn doubter Thomas. He loved the introspective Philip. He loved the practical, hard-headed Andrew. Uh, The disciples were not an easy bunch to love. They were arrogant and ambitious, and they were selfish, and they were self-centered. On more than one occasion, Jesus said, How much longer must I bear with you? They displeased him, and they exasperated him, and they frustrated, and they annoyed him, and they irritated him. And yet, he demonstrates he still loved the disciples. I'd like to ask you a question. Is there anyone in your life that displeases, exasperates, frustrates, annoys, and irritates you? Anyone? Are they in this room? Can you point to them? May I say that Jesus says, I want you to love those people the same way I have demonstrated my love for these irritating disciples and annoying disciples. And in the same way that he loves us today, I'm so thankful to say nothing that we could do can separate us from his love. How much did Jesus love them and how much does Jesus love us? Do you know what uh, uh, Romans 5 and verse 8 says? It says this. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while Brent was yet a sinner, guess what? Christ died for Brent. I'd like for us to quote that verse together, only when we get to the words us and we and us, I want you to insert your name. Let's make the word of God personal this morning. Together, let's say that, uh, this verse. But God commendeth his love toward Brent. You're terrible. Let's try that again. (laughs) Evidently, you need a leader here. Okay, let's do this again. Here we go. But God commended his love toward Brent, in that while Brent was yet a sinner, Christ died for Brent. 
some of you said Brent. <laughs> I was, let's move on. John says here that this love is true in him and in you. And because Jesus has this love and because he's in us and and because this love has been poured out in us, we can love in the same way. We can love those who are difficult and we can love those who are disgruntled and we can love those who are disagreeable. The old commandment is to love your brothers yourself. The new commandment is to love your brother as Jesus loves you. Now notice a third component here of this great commandment. We see the commandment, love your brother. We could say brother or sister here. Live the old commandment anew and afresh every day. The commandment to love one another is both old and it is new. The famous preacher R.G. Lee said this, The love of God was old when the pyramids were new, yet it is still new today. Though the command to love is old, we're to make it new by fresh uh, apprehension, fresh application. Someone said this, Though doctrinal Christianity is always old, Experimental Christianity is always new. It will always be new. The sun is as old as creation. God created it in the beginning. Yet every morning we see it rise on the horizon because it's a new day. It's old and it's new. And in the same way, the commandment to love is old. But as we apply it in our relationships with other believers, it's new every day. Do you realize that when you came to church today, you came to church, it's the first day of the week, and you have a new love for those that you have come to church to be around. The end of verse number 8, John says, uh, he, he, his darkness has passed and the true light now shineth. As believers, we have, uh, have been delivered from the darkness of the age. Ephesians 5 and verse number 8 says, For we were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. And then there's this instruction, Walk as children of light. And though we still live in a dark world, God's love, His true light, is already shining us. And Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Who are you following this morning? As we examine our own DNA love profile this morning, we must understand that fellowship with God mandates obedience to God's greatest commandment that we love others as Jesus has loved us. Well, quickly, DNA marker number two is this. Fellowship, remember that's different than relationship. Relationship is salvation. Fellowship is my day-to-day relationship with God mandates loving God's great family. It mandates loving all of us, God's great family. If I'm feeling bad and I think I may have a fever, I use a thermometer to check uh, my body temperature, and that thermometer tells me a lot about my health. And in the same way, our fellowship with other believers tells us about our fellowship with God. Now notice several items in this breakdown of the verses that we read. Number one, a lack of love is a sure sign of darkness. A lack of love is a sure sign of darkness. John wrote, he that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother. That's the people we go to church with, our brothers and sisters in Christ. He is in darkness 
even until now. You see, love and light go together. Hatred and darkness are partners. We can't claim to have an intimate fellowship with God and have hatred for a brother. You might say, Pastor, I just don't like some people. In fact, there are some that I just can't stand to be around, but I don't hate anyone. Webster, he says, hatred is a prejudiced hostility or animosity. The Greek word here means to detest, to persecute. Hatred can be active and hatred can be passive. Active hatred is expressed by spiteful, malicious words or malicious deeds like perhaps burning a cross in someone's yard or deliberately bringing a physical harm. But passive hatred is more common. Passive hatred might define some folks here today. It's expressed in coldness, unconcern, indifference. What hurt the Lord the most were not the enemies who openly accused him, but the indifference of those who followed him, and they stood idly by, watching him be crucified without ever saying a word. Could I have everyone's attention for just a moment? You're taking good notes. You're not sleeping this morning. Thank you so much for just the amazing attention. May I just say, here in 2021, America, our great country, will fall because there'll be Christians who idly stand by indifferent to the persecution that's going to come to the church and believers. And sadly, our church in our lifetime and with the devolving nature of what's happening in the world today and specifically in the United States, it may be sooner than later that we have to count the cost for our faith. Jesus said to his disciples who saw his miracles, who experienced the joy of those who were healed, who saw people raised from the dead when he needed them. They were indifferent, stood to the side, callous, cold, never raising their voice in opposition as Jesus was crucified. John tells us the person who claims to be a Christian, who's in fellowship with God but truly hates another Christian, is not even saved. He's a counterfeit. Notice what the Word of God says. He's in darkness even until now. In other words, he's never had relationship. The true light has never fully shined in his life. So to say that you're in the light and yet hate your brothers, at best inconsistency, at worst a denial of the faith. 1 John 3 and verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in what death. Number two. An abundance of love is a sure sign of the light. An abundance of love is a sure sign of the light. Notice the difference between the two people described in verses 9 and 10. One saith he's in the light. He's just talking. The other abideth in the light. He's not talking about it. He's actually doing it. What does it mean to love your brother? It means that we love some people we don't like. 
To love your brother, to love your sister means loving some people you don't like. And just like Jesus and the disciples, people get on our nerves. They irritate us and they frustrate us and they exasperate us. And we don't always feel love for our brothers and sisters in God's great family. Here's the secret. Love is not a feeling. I know it upsets my wife every time I say that. It's not a feeling. The ooshy-gooshy feeling stuff that left back in 1986-87. The first time I ever held her hand. That's not the same feeling that I get when I hold her hand today. You understand that, right? Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. I choose to love my brothers and sisters. May I just tell you this morning, Jesus has chosen to love you. If I love you, that means that when I have to decide about your well-being, I'll make a loving decision. I'll decide not to hurt you, speak evil of you, cause you pain. I'll put your interests and your feelings ahead of my own when necessary. A lack of love is a sure sign of darkness. An abundance of love is a sure sign of light. But notice number three. And what we read there in verse number 10, a dark love is a sure sign of blindness. A dark love is a sign of blindness. John says the believer who loves has uh, none occasion of stumbling in him. By contrast, the loveless life, the life bound up in hatred and contempt, is a life stumbling in darkness. John says such a man is in darkness even until now. John says we're either in the light or we're in darkness. That's the only two options. Are you in the light this morning? I trust that would be your testimony, but... In a crowd this size, there are those who are still in the darkness. There is no twilight between the two. You're a genuine believer and you love your brothers. And if you don't love your brothers, the Bible says you're not a genuine believer. John also says the person knoweth not whether he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. He hates people because he can't clearly see. He sees the color of their skin. He may see their economic uh, status. He sees their practices and uh, ideologies instead of the real person that God created. John is describing the counterfeit Christian here. Many genuine believers, they may stumble in darkness for a season when they, when they turn from the light of God's love, uh, when they fail to forgive. Nothing will hinder your fellowship with God like a grudge against a brother. I don't know if that's in your notes, but I may just say this again. Nothing will hinder your fellowship with God like a grudge against a brother. Fellowship with God mandates loving God's great family, and a lack of love is a sure sign of darkness. An abundance of love is a sure sign of the light. A dark face, a dark love is a sign that your eyes have been blinded. Number four, passing the test zone of love is a sure sign of fellowship with God. So testing that test zone of love is a sure sign of fellowship with God. The test of loving our brothers and sisters is found throughout 1 John. Fellowship with God is not evidence in warm, fuzzy feelings. God is a spirit, and how do we know we love a spirit? We know because we love his family. The evidence of my love for God is demonstrated in how I love his family. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the love of your physical brother and sister is the test of your spiritual life. And you cannot know that you love your brothers if you're not around them. That's why we have church and faithful attendance and involvement in your church is a test zone of your love. It's a test of your fellowship with God. About 15 years ago, 
I uh, lived in a house with a wife and three children. Oh, those were some great days. We, we loved our family, loved being together as a family. And if you think a pastor's house is a place of peace, wake up to reality. We had three children. My children occasionally had disagreements. They had to get along because we were family, and, and family relationships makes toleration possible. And there were times that we had to have correction and discipline, and we had to sit down, and we had to amend things that were, that were abrasive in our family. And, and all, when you have five people, all five people don't always get along. How many of you can relate to that in your family? Not everyone gets along all the time. All of us should have our hands up. It's a reality. Do you know that God tolerates us too in his family? When we, when we are abrasive and we don't always respond kindly and perfectly, God tolerates us. And we know we're related to God by how we treat his other children. You know what was great? There may have been some arguments in our family growing up. We weren't perfect family, as there are no perfect families. But what was sweet is when there was sweet fellowship in our family and there were no problems. And we hugged and we kissed and we made up. And biblical love is deciding to bless someone even though they may not deserve it. God loves us even though we do not deserve it. Love promotes responsibility. And there were times that I had to be the responsible father and, and there was discipline that had to, to be administered to our children. But there were hugs and there were prayer afterwards and there were times when we, that we um, quickly moved on from that because there was a repentance in, in our children. Sometimes I had to rebuke them, but most of the time I was able to love them. Love does what I ought to do, not what I feel like doing. James 2 and verse 8 calls this the royal law. Our, our, our state law says that we have to feed our kids. However, we, if we don't feed our kids, we don't feed our kids because it's the law. We feed our children because we love them. So as I conclude this message... We've seen that fellowship with God mandates obedience to God's great commandment. And fellowship with God mandates loving God's great family. So it's that time in the message that I ask you to examine your life. I examine, ask you specifically to examine your DNA love profile. Would your DNA love profile prove that you have an authentic relationship, a salvation, that you are a believer? Would your DNA love profile prove that you're an authentic believer that demonstrates love or fellowship with others? Relationship is that moment of salvation. I can't earn it, buy it, be good enough for it. It's been given to me from God. Have you ever entered into a relationship with God? Fellowship is what happens after relationship. Fellowship is that I now, I now decide how close do I want to be with God. And fellowship decides how I'm going to love my brothers and sisters. Fellowship is the evidence of my love for God. Fellowship in how I love my brothers and sisters in Christ is an evidence to God of how I want to be close to God. How's your DNA love profile? 
Would your DNA love profile prove that you're an authentic believer and demonstrates love for others, even when they do not deserve it? I would like to ask you to do something at this moment. Close your notes and your Bibles for we're finished taking notes. And then would you look up here? Would you answer this question? Who in my life right now do I not care about? Ah, I actually dislike them quite a bit. If they went away, it wouldn't bother me. If they moved away or just disappeared, because basically, I kind of hate them. Is that person a believer or a non-believer? If it's a non-believer, shame on you for having that thought, because that means they could die without Christ and go to hell. But if they're a believer, according to 1 John and what we just read this morning, when we have a deliberate decision to dislike someone who is a brother and sister in Christ, the Bible says it's one of two things. Either we're really not authentic believer, or there's a blindness there, and we've turned our lives away from the light that's supposed to shine in our hearts and lives in the way we live. So I ask you again, who is that person or persons, that family, that group of people that you just do not like, you do not care for? They are an irritant to you. Just like the disciples were irritating, obnoxious, selfish, self-serving, fought over who was going to be the closest to Jesus, Jesus still chose to love the disciples. And just as Jesus still chooses to love us today, why would we be better than Jesus? More proud, of, uh, arrogant than Jesus? And say, well, Jesus doesn't understand my gripe, my beef, my complaint against someone else. So that transitions to an opportunity of invitation for you. I'd like to ask you very directly this morning, that person came to your mind. Would you be willing this week to either personally, a letter, a phone call, take care of that? Doesn't mean you have to invite them for Thanksgiving lunch. It doesn't mean that you have to give them a Christmas gift. But spiritually speaking, you need to take care of that. And I need to obey the word of God. A new commandment. Love my brothers and sisters as who? Jesus has loved me. To do less than that is to be in disobedience, broken, severed fellowship with God. Who do you need to talk to this week? Oh, that's a nice message, Pastor Armstrong. It's for someone else. That's cute. We heard the word of God today. No. Can we not personalize the message? And let's restore fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ's Father.